Hello, and welcome to episode four of The Queers Are Watching. I'm Hannah. And I'm Sarah. And this time we're going to talk about Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Before we get into that, though, I did want to say sorry for the sound quality on the last episode. It was pretty bad, and I'm going to now list some excuses for why it was so bad. Um... (laughs) So first of all, there were three of us, which was kind of like a weird setup. I had to like move into a different room because there wasn't enough room for us to do it where we normally do it. And then also like we knew we were going to do a drunk episode. So Sarah was like, hey, you should definitely set everything up before you get drunk. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I will totally do that. And then I was like, I'll just have one glass of wine before I set up. And I'm a lightweight and I was like already kind of drunk when I was setting up. So... (laughs) I was like, oh, everything's going to be fine, like, and then it was too quiet, so then when I was, like, editing, I had to, like, boost the sound up a ton, which is why, like, there's, like, distorted parts, and I'm really sorry. Um, (laughs) You should see her face. It's really sorry right now. I'm the most sorry. (laughs) I am, there are tears in my eyes. There are no tears, and she's a liar. (laughs) And I'm going to, in fact, get down on my knees (laughs) and beg for forgiveness. If you've seen this movie, you get the reference. Yeah. Um, Speaking of the movie. Yeah. Let's, let's, so now that I've given you my excuses, let's talk about this movie. Okay. So we actually saw this movie on opening night, which was October 13th, um, Friday the 13th. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, It's rated R. It's an hour and 48 minutes. And it has, um, sorry thinking of the actors' names, uh, Luke Evans, Rebecca Hall, and Bella Heathcote. Bella Heathcote. It is about the writer and creator of Wonder Woman comics and his polyamorous relationship with his legal wife and their lover that came sometime later in their lives. Um, and the various hurdles they have to jump over to continue to have their relationship in the time that they were having their relationship, which was the late twenties and up to the mid forties, um, around the time of his death. Yeah. Spoiler alert. He dies, but like you (laughs) would be able to find that out by like going online and looking up who he was. So yeah, I didn't know to be, I mean, obviously I knew he died, um, But I didn't know that he had cancer and he died, so. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't realize that he died so long before his... His wives? His ladies, yeah. That's really sad. Mm-hmm. Um, also on IMDb, it has a 6.7. Uh, the meta score is 68, and the Rotten Tomato score is 87 from the critics and 84 from the audience, which is very good. Um, that doesn't surprise me, because I really liked it. But I'm a little surprised that the IMDb score is so low. I'm wondering, honestly, if a lot of straight people went and saw this and, (laughs) like, were expecting... Either they were expecting something super, super vanilla and boring, and they were like, oh, no, this is too wild for me. (laughs) Or they were expecting something super wild, and it was too plain vanilla for them. I read a few reviews and a lot of people were saying it was too plain vanilla for them. That it was like not sexy enough and it was, I don't, I feel like people go to theaters and see movies about queer people 
Like, because there were two women that were in a relationship in this movie. And they just expect it to be this, like, raunchy porn sex scene. And it's just too wild for me. Like, even when we, okay, when we bought our tickets, the guy was like, what's that movie about? And I was like, oh, it's about the guy who created Wonder Woman. And, like, he has a wife and they have a girlfriend together. And I was like, you know, like a thruple. <laughs> and he was like... Oh, that's so scandalous. And I was like, I guess for that time it was scandalous. He was being kind of like weird about it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And here's the thing, like, I didn't know what to expect when going in in terms of like the sexual content of the film because so much of the previews that I had seen were very focused around that and I... But I didn't know if, like, that would actually be a main focus of the film or if they were, like, just trying to get people to come see it, like, sex-baiting them. Um, but I mean... I thought I thought it was a good balance. Like, I, I wasn't feeling like, oh, this is too boring, it needs more sex. But I also <laughs> wasn't like, oh, this is making me uncomfortable for, like, by having prolonged sex scenes. Yeah, um, no, I thought it was really tastefully done. So. Yeah, because I, like, I don't know what other people want, but personally, I don't want to go to the movies and be seeing a porn that I did not... Like, With strangers. Yeah. Although no one was in our theater, because we, we were, went really late at night. We were all alone. <laughs> it was so wonderful. We could make comments. <laughs> we and... did make comments, too. <laughs> yeah, so... But yeah, I don't want to go to to see a movie and then have the whole thing be, like, wildly sexy. That's kind of weird and awkward, so right? no thanks. Yeah, I'm going to say no to that. So, I don't... I think... I was thinking, like, is it just the movies we're watching? But I think it's any movie with queer people. Like, we keep getting that same, like, review feedback from audience and critics. Like, not sexy enough. Was expecting wild sex. And I'm just like, this movie was not necessarily about that. Yeah, and I think it I think it points to a stereotype about polyamorous people and a stereotype about people that are into any kind of bondage or kink. Like there's an expectation that because you're into bondage and kink or because you're poly that suddenly like every sexual act that you do has to be like wild out of this world. <laughs> like you would never expect it. Like no, like people have average sex in poly relationships. People have average kinky sex like it doesn't like not every kinky encounter has to be like everyone's bleeding at the end like that's (laughs) every kinky encounter is not 50 shades of gray like what do you what do you want from it like i don't know i don't know people are wild but then like those are the same people that would be like oh my god a whip i could never do that like that's it like that's your line (laughs) like jesus yeah. Well, I think it's, I think because a lot of the people that are watching it probably don't have that kind of life that they're like, oh, well, I want to see the most extreme of it since I'm never going to do it. <laughs> like, it's not, it's not enough for them to just see like an average encounter. Like they want it to be, they want it to shake them to their core. And that was not happening. <laughs> Which like, guess what? A movie about like some poly people doesn't need to be like the most scandalous thing you've ever seen in your life. And it wasn't like it was about their relationship, but it wasn't about just the sex they were having. So I think maybe that's where people were like, I thought it was only about the sex they were having, which is like, okay, then it would have ended on the first sex scene, which that kind of like leads us into talking about the start of their whole thruple. 
Yeah, because here's the thing. The fictionalized account of what happened um, makes it abundantly clear that it was consensual all the way around for everyone. Everyone wanted to partake in the sexy times. <laughs> um, but when I'm thinking, like, I kept having this thought while I was watching the very beginning. Like, she's a student and they are in a position of power over her, especially Bill Marson being a man and being a professor. Mm -hmm. And it and being her professor. Yeah. And she was his teaching assistant. Yeah, there's such a power imbalance that it immediately makes me uncomfortable, even if the portrayal of it was like, oh no, everyone wanted to. Um, because I don't know what really happened. Yeah. And I think like, I, I was uncomfortable with that, too, but I also think that it made me more uncomfortable that many times in the slow burn building up to them admitting all of their feelings and, like, actually trying to make their relationship work, that it's mentioned that um, Olive, who is the teaching assistant, um, is, like, obsessed with them and, like, their work and she admires them. And she, like, thinks the world of them. And not really particularly in a way that you would, like, a romantic interest. Just, like, in a way where she's, like, I am, like, looking up to you. Like, you're my mentor. Yeah, it's infatuation, I think. So that kind of made me uncomfortable. Like, because it kind of seemed like she was being coerced into this relationship with these more experienced people in a powerful position above her. And I mean, even even her stupid, dense boyfriend. Oh my god, what fiance, was his name? whatever, Brent, something like that. Something like some B name that's like <laughs> so stereotypical of a fraternity guy, which is what he was. Um, he like even says at one point, like I can tell that you want her approval. Like mm -hmm. he he's saying, I can tell Olive that you want Elizabeth's approval. Mm -hmm. That's all you want. And I don't know, like they did actually portray. Olive's attraction to Elizabeth as, like, being really based, like, intellectually. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if that was, like, something that was just specific to their relationship or if that's, like, trying to make some comment about relationships between women. Like, that we, like, queer women like women's minds or something. <laughs> Which, like, that's such a, ugh. I don't like that if that's what you're trying to say. I mean, she clearly wanted her body, but, like. Yeah. <laughs> but there wasn't much talk about that. Like, every time they'd be like, oh, are you in love with her? Olive would be like, yeah, she's brilliant. She's so smart. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay. <laughs> like, that's great, but... She did ask... Okay, because, like, they used the lie detector, which um, the real-life person, um, Bill and Elizabeth Marston, they really did invent that. And they really did, um, like, figure out how to work it. So they used the lie detector as a tool to get, like, somewhere in the relationship, I think. Because it was, like, very, like, let's hook Olive up to the lie detector test and ask her if she loves me and if she loves you and if she wants to have sex with me and if she wants to have sex with you, Elizabeth. Like, and, like, every time she, she said no, like shakily like obviously her heartbeat would increase and she would it would be read as a lie so like i don't know if that was just like it was supposed to be like a hundred percent true you have to believe that olive wants to be here consensually or if it was like 
I don't know. Like, I, I'm trying to figure out the use of that. Like, it. there's so many layers of that because, yes, she's there. Like, she's saying, like, I do want to have sex with you. But you can never know if it's if it's consensual fully for them to know that. True. Like, she's, like, she. that's what she wants. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what she wants to do. Yeah. Um, And the fact that she is their, like, assistant makes it kind of weird because she kind of has to participate in this research but Mm -hmm. at a certain point it's definitely not being used for research anymore it's just being used as foreplay basically and because the way that the machine works at the time you have to be strapped into a chair it like adds another weird layer for me of like now this girl is literally strapped into a chair in the office of two people that have power over her one more than the other and she's being asked if she wants to have sex with them like even if the lie detector itself is telling you that she does, it still feels like there's too much that is out of her control. So question. Later on, they all three of them discover that they're into bondage together. But Olive in particular is like really voluntary about it. She's like, I want to be tied up. So do you think that her obsession with that is because the basis of their sexual relationship was them literally tying her up and asking her sexual questions. I don't know. If, like, are you saying, like, is that what made her into it? Yeah. Oh, I don't I don't know that that's why. I think maybe she was already into that. and Like, I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah. Oh, do you, are you asking, like, do I think that's what the film was trying to say? No, I mean, just, like, do you think that that's why? But do you think that's what the film was trying to say? No, I don't think so. I think th- I think they were, like, trying to say that she's a sub, and she likes being a sub, and that's just always what she likes. Okay. And that at that point in the movie, she has been in an open, um, accepting relationship with two other people, so she feels able to express that. Like, at the beginning yeah. of the movie, she never would have expressed that, because that's they true. had a hard time getting her to admit that she had some kind of arousal from spanking her sorority sister Mm -hmm. which is a whole thing that happens (laughs) i guess that's really a thing that happens i was like i didn't know about baby party i've never i don't do greek life i don't know if they still do that in greek life i'm assuming it's taken a different like less of a ceremonial thing because it was very creepy in the movie i don't know i feel like i've heard some wild things about ceremonies but never spanking your sorority sisters with a paddle literally over your knee. I mean, I know they do spank people with paddles in sororities and fraternities, but I didn't know that it was like in baby play, which is very creepy to me. Yeah. That whole scene was really creepy. Uh, And I Googled that, not that particular thing, but that regarding Marston and Olive. And apparently that's true that she was the gateway to like them being able to study um, the whole like, baby thing in sororities so i guess maybe that was really popular in the 20s and the 30s and it's i think there's a level of irony to this that i can appreciate especially in terms of the way it works out in the film because like people are in sororities doing that shit but then like (laughs) if you go to like a sex store it's like oh no we're criminals and we can never show our faces (laughs) again but like you're out here spanking a lady with a paddle and that's fine and they're dressed as babies i know and that's like considered 
Oh, yeah, we're in college. It's just good, wholesome college fun. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that um, because in that the scene that we're talking about, Olive is the pledge master. And the other girl is the pledge. So she's the one doing the spanking because she's the veteran of the sorority. And she says, like, the girl, when she pairs up with her, the pledge is like, I really don't get this. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's silly. And Olive is like, oh, it's just for fun. And then, like, the sorority, whatever, president, lady, girl, is queen like... Queen bee. Bitchy queen bee. The queen bee is like, oh, no back talk. Now you have to spank her. And then she makes her, like, get down on her knees and, like, go over her leg and spank her. So I think at the time, maybe, that might be why there may be a shift from that in sororities and fraternities. That they didn't recognize that as sexual foreplay. Because they didn't see, like, dominance and submission as relating to sex at all. Which is what disc theory proves. You are blowing my mind right now. (laughs) Because clearly I saw that as inherently sexual. And it's wild to me that someone can see that as not (laughs) sexual. I mean, we see it now. It's like Psych 101. Yeah. So that might be. Wow. (laughs) Don't hold me to that. I'm not a psychologist. No, but it's all coming together now that back then they literally were such innocent, naive babies, literal babies, (laughs) that they didn't realize that that's really erotic. I mean, I, I, I know that for sure they realized it on some level. But they were like, no, this is just something we do. So repressed and so sad. I know. I kind of want to talk about the director a little bit, whose name is, sorry, I'm looking at my notes, if you can hear my papers, <laughs> um, Angela Robinson, who is apparently a lesbian woman or a queer person of some sort, because it says that she has a wife and I think they have a kid. Um... And she directed Deb's, um, some of True Blood. She was a producer on that. And the L Word. So, and, like, one of the comments that Hannah made was that, um, she felt like it was done, the movie was done by someone who understood bondage. So, I don't know if she just did, like, a lot of research or if she's, like, also into bondage and she understood. It was interesting to me that she... I'm going to make a ton of assumptions about her right now, um, which I probably shouldn't. But um, if she was a director on the L word, mm-hmm. that leads me to believe that she's a lesbian. Yeah. May or may not be true. I mean, it I'm... said it used feminine pronouns for her and it said she had a wife. So she's queer. I know, but <laughs> but I'm saying like. To you're me, she's probably not non-monosexual. Yeah, okay. that's I mean, if you're if you're working for the L word. There's, like, one non-monosexual person on there. Yeah, but They're I've not heard, well represented. Yeah, that's what I've heard, so. <laughs> um, but it's interesting to me because it seems like the movie was made by someone who understands not just bondage, but bondage between a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Because of the way that... The, and, and someone that understands the judgments that come from other women, specifically queer women, around that topic. Because of the scene when... Olive is discovering or first expressing how much she loves to be tied up. Mm -hmm. And Elizabeth is like, I can't believe you're letting him do this to you. Why would you let him? Mm -hmm. And it's, and it to me was like a representation of like a much larger, more broad 
conversation that comes up a lot, which is like lesbians usually confronting non-monosexual women about like why they love men or why mm -hmm. they let men do things to them. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it has to be all reframed from like, not everything is like, I'm letting someone do this to me. Sometimes it's like, I want this. Mm -hmm. um, but then we also have to go back and be like, but why do I want it? <laughs> um, Don't pull it that thread. <laughs> so it's, what I'm saying is like, I feel like the movie represented that very complex conversation that happens. Yeah, I think it was an appropriate representation. So, and I think it, it was very, like, it was a really, I'm not sure of the words I'm looking for here, like a nuanced portrayal of that. Like, it wasn't just like, here's some whips and chains and these people were freaky. Like, it wasn't like that at all, I think, which kind of surprised me because I was kind of going into it getting ready to be like, this is not at all how this would have went. And I, I want, I'm curious to know where the director and the writers got their information from. Like, did they get it straight from them? Like, prior to their deaths? Or, I'm not really sure. Right. Like, I don't know how much of this is, like, true to their specific story. But either way, like, I want to know where they got all their information about bondage. If that's <laughs> not, like, their lived experience, I'm like, you did a good job researching then. Mm -hmm. You didn't just, like, go home watch Fifty Shades of Grey, and then be like, okay, I'm all set. I know, Not Fifty Shades of Grey. I know what kink is now. Yikes.com. But I knew that something else you wanted to talk about was um, the hot button issue of what is queer and what is kinky. <laughs> because there's uh, a lot of discussion about this. Because let, let's just do like a brief rundown of like what's been going on in the past five years and beyond, but mostly the past five years in regards to queerness and kinkiness. Oh, wow. Um, and I've had these discussions in an academic setting, and I've had them in, like, a social media think piece setting. So it's it's ongoing discourse right now. And I feel like, yeah, I feel like everyone that spends time in queer spaces has had this discussion at some point. Mm -hmm. And there's people on all sides of it, which I think is interesting. But because um, I've also had it in academic settings and I've had surprising answers come from queer professors. Um, but anyway, um, in the midst of kind of our community's like large discussions about what do we call ourselves? Because some people don't like the word queer and they don't want to reclaim it, and they don't think that it can be reclaimed. Um, many people also don't like what they call the alphabet soup, which is saying LGBTQIA2S plus. <laughs> yeah, like, it, yeah, it's a lot of letters. I can, I can see that. Um, so people are like, oh, what do we call ourselves? And at some point, people came up with... Um, gender sexual minority so they gsrm yeah um gender sexual romantic minority is another one that some people used um and then i'm not sure if like i personally didn't see a bunch of kinky people coming in and being like this is mine now but i heard that that happened i heard that um people were worried or that it was already happening that kinky straight people meaning people that experience no attraction to a gender that isn't considered like their opposite gender mm -hmm. um we're gonna come in and be like we're a sexual minority because we like kinky stuff 
I don't know if that... I heard that happened with MOGAI, but I don't remember what MOGAI stands for. Do you? I think it's Marginalized Orientations, Genders, and Intersex. Yes. That or is... was that what replaced GSRM? I can't remember. They were, I think, coming around at this around the same time. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember right now. And I don't remember what I landed on, like, being like, okay, that sounds fine. I mean, I I like both of those. I like GSRM and I like Mogai. Mm-hmm. But I also do see how it's concerning that people can put themselves into it when they don't necessarily belong. However, I haven't personally seen that being a huge problem. Like, in terms of, like, having a GSA meeting or something, I don't think a bunch of straight people are going to come in and be like, well, I like bondage, so you have to, like, let me in on your meeting. Like, that doesn't sound like something that's going to happen very often. And I and I f- found that, especially in the past five years, the queer community has such a problem with being really afraid of intruders or invaders mm-hmm. that might not really be our biggest threat, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, they're pretty militant with their gatekeeping. Yeah. It's the, it's the same, like, it's not at all the same because ace people are definitely part of the community, but it's the same kind of like, oh, well, if we let them in, then who else will come in? The slippery slope thing. Yeah. And I'm like, Ugh. no, like... I mean, I had heard of one particular case. I was talking about this in an academic setting, and we have a club for my major on campus, um, which I won't say my campus because people will know who they are because they're pretty prominent. But there was a couple that was in the club, um, and it was they were a cis woman and a cis man, and the man liked to wear, like, skirts and stuff. But he wasn't into people with a similar gender as he was. He was only into people with a like completely different gender than him. So I don't know if he was open to dating trans people, but typically he only dated people with vaginas, if that makes any sense to anybody. And he said because he liked to wear like feminine clothes and sometimes makeup, that that made him queer. And like people were like up in arms about it and they were like fighting about it because they were like, and these were like, these are some crunchy granola, straight ass white people. And it was just like they like they were invading the space of queer people by saying like, hey, I'm different. So I'm queer. But like this this guy identified as a cis straight male. Yeah. OK. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's a little I mean, like I, the argument that comes to mind for that would be like, well, maybe maybe he's exploring his gender and didn't want to say that i'm just saying that that's an argument that would come up like i would hope that that was what was happening but i don't think that's what happened yeah i guess like i guess my thing is like that needs to be on the straight people that are trying to come into our spaces that shouldn't be that pressure shouldn't be placed on the queer people that are already in the space like that shouldn't be like our responsibility to worry about the straight people coming in like that's not that's not an asexual person's fault. That's not, like, a... When have you ever heard of a straight person taking responsibility for their own actions? <laughs> yeah, I know. But <laughs> that doesn't mean that it should be placed on other queer people. You know what True, I'm saying? True. Definitely. I, I don't think it was up to any of them. I don't think... I don't think it was the responsibility of them to be like, hey, cut this out. But I do think that 
those people in particular, just, I've never met them. I've just seen them around on social media. They are so delusional that they're just like, yes, this is where we belong because we're different. And like when they asked about it, the woman said like, oh, well, we're into kink. So therefore we're queer. Um, And one of my professors has like hinted that people that are into kink are queer. And I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah, I I also had that experience with one of my professors who taught mostly gender studies and uh, queer studies courses and identified as a lesbian. She would constantly be like, no, like anyone who's different and lives a non-normative lifestyle of any kind is queer. Single moms are queer. No. Poor people are queer. Mm -mm. Like, (laughs) I was like, this is too much. I don't understand how you can... I really just, genuinely hold that opinion as a queer person, as someone who's actually queer. <laughs> <laughs> as someone who's literally queer. I Same for me. Like, I don't get it. Especially because queer is a reclamation of a, a slur against people who exhibit homosexual behavior. So I'm going to say no, but thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that's so nice that you want to be inclusive. You're being too inclusive. Yeah, you're being too inclusive. Scale it back a little bit. (laughs) Because I think then those kind of people, like, particularly for queer, I'm just going to focus on that. Like, particularly for queer and kink, like, those things are not synonymous. Like, you can be non-kinky and be queer. And you can also be kinky and not be queer. Also, like, those are the kinds of things you do, like in the privacy of your own home. Like, no one has sex out on the front lawn for everyone to see what you're really into. Um, that's against the law. <laughs> so, so if you're doing that, stop that. <laughs> like, it's you're non-consensually exposing people to things um, about yourself that they probably don't want to be exposed to. Um, like, that being said, <laughs> I do feel like... I don't know. Like, I don't know how to explain it. Because, like, you can hide that you're kinky. Like, you don't have to come out to your boss and say, like, I like to be tied up. Like, you don't have to do that. But, like, let's say you're out just having dinner like a regular human. And you're a queer person. And you're with your same gendered partner. um, And your boss sees you there. Like, then that kind of is going to need an explanation. Like, there are things about your life that you can't hide when you're queer. And I think queer people are a lot more visible than, like, kinky people. And also, like, I don't think you're going to get fired because you're kinky. Like, you're not going to bring that into the workplace. But, you know, your spouse might come visit you. Or you might have to bring them to a dinner. Or they might think that your politics are in alignment with, like, radical queer politics. Which is not necessarily true of all queer people. And that might affect whatever ways they treat you at work. But, like, there's no kinky politics. Yeah. (laughs) It just, it makes me, it like, your arguments totally make sense. But then, unfortunately, people try to apply that same thing to asexuality. And they're like, you can't be fired for being asexual. And... I mean, yeah, you can. Yeah. I feel like that's totally true. Because, like, I feel like people still think, like, asexual people are weird or broken or whatever. And that's why I feel like they fall into, like, the queer umbrella also, you can be asexual and still be attracted to people. And those yeah. people could be of your sim- similar gender. So I think, yeah, I think people just try to, you know, the 
same gender attraction <laughs> model, which states that, like, you can only be queer if you're attracted to people of your same gender, which is, like, no, that's not true. And then, like, they tack on trans, too. They're, like, or trans. And it's, like, so then that's not a cohesive model. Like, <laughs> like you know, I, I don't know. But people try to say that. They're, like, you can easily hide being asexual, so therefore it's not something you have to worry about and no one's ever had anything bad happen to them because they're ace i'm like wow you should really <laughs> listen to people when they speak maybe <laughs> um but anyway this this is a whole thing that comes up because of this movie and i was just thinking about like in the movie kink is aligned with like basically sexual deviance which was true for the time like i think at the time being kinky was queer mm -hmm. but not so anymore if that makes sense because like in the movie like they the people that were hanging out in that sex shop and getting bondage lessons from this weird guy like they weren't all queer like it seemed like they were mostly cis men and cis women yeah. partners so there there was kind of like an alignment of like if you're queer or you're into kink, you're a deviant and you all belong in the same place. But that's not the case anymore. Yeah. Also, like, it's mentioned, like, porn was illegal. Like, when he starts, like, drawing porn. Yeah. So, like, I guess being into anything sexual was, like, no, no. When I was reading some of the reviews, I thought it was interesting that some of them were saying that they felt like the film wasn't clear about its stance on whether or not Wonder Woman is feminist. And then some people were like, oh, it's too generous to Wonder Woman. Um, and it has a, like a rose, a rose tinted glasses kind of look at it. And I don't, I think I'm inclined more to agree that it has a rose tinted look at it um i think for its time period that it's supposed to take place in it was feminist i'm gonna say that mm -hmm. but it is very like white feminist it is very like privileged feminist mm -hmm. so i would say that at the time it would have been considered radical and wild but i think now like post even like post third wave because we can talk about like third wave feminism was like a blip on the radar and then people were like moving beyond that now. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, obviously we would all be like, no, it's so problematic and here's why. Um, and particularly because I think it's just about sex and it's about disc theory and what that means for sex. And I think for a lot of people that's like, I guess like women are too sexualized so that therefore that's not feminist. But I think at the time, like, sexualizing women was feminist. Like, to, that was too radical. Okay. Because I, like, kind of wasn't even understanding the argument that he was making in the film. Like, when he has to, like, defend Wonder Woman to a review board, I wasn't really getting what he was saying. He was like, yeah, like, bondage, disc theory, women, feminism, <laughs> young girls. I'm like, what? Like, I kind of... I thought that the lady had a point <laughs> about, like, showing children these images of half-naked women tied up all the time. Like, I wasn't 
Like, I was willing to listen to him, but he wasn't, like, he wasn't selling me on how that was feminist. But I kind of get what you're saying that maybe for the time period, just, like, being, like, women have bodies and are sometimes in sexual scenarios. Like, that might have been super radical for the time. I think that, obviously, I think the woman did have a point. Like, I don't know how much children need to benefit from seeing dominance in action like as it pertains to sex but that doesn't make that didn't make sense to me like why he needed to include that maybe it was just because like he lost his job and he like that's what he taught so he was like i need to get that out in the world somehow well he kept saying i'm teaching children to submit to a loving authority which which is strange to me yeah like first of all your wording concerns me. Like, I know that he uses it in a very particular way, but also, like, I don't know that children are going to get that from yeah, I don't think those images. Like, he's he's really going, like, subliminal messaging or something and saying... Yeah. Okay. But I don't think <laughs> that they would have got that. Yeah. So, I don't know. The The movie made me think a lot about, like, how we can never really know how much he had women's best interests at heart. Like I, <laughs> like I'm really jaded, but I feel like I was watching it being like, this guy does not exist. There's no way, especially not back then. Yeah. Um, His wife does call him out about that twice. Yeah. Like saying like, no, you're not doing this for science. You're not doing this to like make this better world where we all better understand our actions and why you're doing it because you're, sexually attracted to this person or me or this situation and he would like argue like no I'm not but like it would be clear that he knew that's what he was doing so he talks about inducement which is making someone want what you want so that it so that it works out for you (laughs) and them supposedly um but basically you're manipulating the situation is what it is. And so I was like, he, if that's really his theory, then what he's doing is saying, I'm such a feminist. I believe in free love and a better future because then he gets to fuck two women yeah, and see two women fuck each other. (laughs) So like, to me, that kind of takes away from his sincerity, I guess. I agree. I the whole time I was watching the movie, I was like, I want to like you, but I don't trust you. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's partially me being judgmental of any relationship where there's two women and one man. I'm like, nothing good can come of this. <laughs> it's, you you don't love them. You're greedy. Which <laughs> is like, people say that about me because I'm bisexual. So why won't I have a little bit more empathy? <laughs> For people. I just, I have little to no empathy for men. So I think I was on the same page. Like, I want to be like, yeah, you're doing all these good things and you're saying the right things. But it was just so reminiscent of like every man that you'll meet on a dating app. That's like, I'm a feminist. And then you get with him and like, if you don't want to have sex with him, he's mad at you. Like, okay, so you're not a feminist then. You were just trying to get me to fuck you by saying I'm a feminist. Yeah, it felt very much like that. <laughs> I did feel like the film wasn't trying to do that. The film was trying to be like, no, he's this great guy that cared only about humanity. And I wasn't buying what they were selling. 
So same. Just really quick, I wanted to ask: Do you think what do you think the film was trying to say about bondage as it relates to feminism? Did you feel like it was trying to make a statement? Do you feel like it was trying to avoid making a statement? I think, I mean, Bill himself says that's a statement, but I don't know that it actually proved anything. Like for me, there was no correlation, but I don't know because if that's because I'm looking at this in 2017, Mm -hmm. like that means nothing to me. Or if it's because like it really has no correlation like to feminism. I mean, again, it could just be like that women weren't in a sexual revolution at the time. So that's like wildly radical for them to experience sex in that way. So I guess maybe it was, but only for the time period. Like it doesn't carry to now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I was trying to decide if I felt like it was making a statement or not. Um, So I guess it all does have to do with the time period. Kind of in the same vein, who did you think the movie centered around? That was really honestly all over the place for me. Like, it, I mean, the movie is called Professor Marston because he wrote the comic and it's about him and his relationship with them. But, like, there were times when I felt like it wasn't centered around him. Like, it was centered around um, Olive and Elizabeth and their relationship and their acceptance of their feelings for one another, possibly because they were queer. And they didn't know that about themselves, like, prior to their love for one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, they had to get used to the fact that they are now seeing themselves as queer people because they want to be in a relationship with each other. And also, Bill was there. Like, <laughs> Bill, Bill was also included. Like, yeah. So, and, and then other times I felt like it was too focused on Bill in, like, when he, like, brought them to the whole um bondage workshop thing it was like so he's pushing them into what he wants like he's doing his thing that he explained in disc theory so i don't know it was i think that was kind of a problem i think they should have stuck to it but how like i don't think that i would have liked the movie if they had stuck to one viewpoint then it would have been like bill's an accessory or it would have been like olive is an accessory and that, or it would have been like Elizabeth is being cheated on and mm-hmm. she's an accessory. Yeah. So I think it worked best to portray them all humanistically, I guess. But like, I don't know that it worked best in a storytelling way. Yeah, because I feel like the only times when I was kind of irritated by the perspective was towards the end when, and I guess it's not just towards the end because we're, I, I guess I mean towards the end of the timeline when he's having the hearing or whatever it is, the mm-hmm. review board about Wonder Woman. Like that's all about him and it's all about what's going on with him. And then it's, it was an interesting choice to me to have the rest of the movie be the way that it was. And then to have that so centered around him because it felt kind of tacked on to me. Mm-hmm. It was like, but remember this is about Wonder Woman, even though like the vast majority of the movie wasn't really about Wonder Woman at all. Yeah. It was really about their relationship, the three of them, but also, like, very heavily on Olive and Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. So it did feel like, oh, we have to make this about Wonder Woman again. Let's go back to his perspective and, like, stay with it. Yeah. Also the fact that, like, 
yes, it's kind of like, oh, it's centered around him because he died and then the movie ended. Yeah. But also, it's kind of not. Because then, like, in the credits, it was like, or before the credits, it was like, hey, so they actually stayed together after he died. And they had a relationship. And they lived, like, for a really long time. Like, I think Olive died when she, in 1984, I think it said. And Elizabeth lived until she was 100 years old. Yeah. Yeah, I also was like, oh, so he died and then the movie's over. (laughs) Which is like, okay. But I see what you're saying. Like, they're like, yeah, and then they had these lives afterwards. Um, And like, I I think that mattered to me that they said that because um, Elizabeth was upset that their kids were getting beaten up on the schoolyard because they were being judged for their parents' relationship. And she was like, oh, no, you have to leave. And she literally kicked Olive out of this house that they built with their kids. And their kids were, like, grown. Like, one of them was a teenager. So it had been, like, maybe 20 years since this whole thing had started. And just, like, that was enough for her to be like, get out, Olive. (laughs) Which was very wild to me. And then ultimately, like, when she, like, upon Bill's request, begged for Olive's forgiveness... And they got back together. I, they stayed together. They didn't, like, break up because it was hard to be together as a queer couple in, you know, 1950 or whatever. Yeah, I think this this also goes back to, I think you had said last night something about, it was clear that a psychologist worked on the movie or wrote the movie. Um, or whoever was working on it at least had done a lot of research about psychology. Mm-hmm. Because it's very clear... In the beginning of the film, Elizabeth is this, like, really headstrong, confident woman. Um, and Olive's this really, like, submissive and quiet and shy girl that doesn't really know what she wants. And that very quickly switches. Mm-hmm. Um, you find out that Elizabeth is really terrified of so many things. She's terrified of being a failure or a disappointment or not being as good as her husband in the eyes of the world. Mm -hmm. And she's terrified of the fact that she's having an attraction to a woman. And she's terrified of the fact that both her husband and this woman want to have a throuple relationship with her. She's freaked out. Whereas Olive is like, Hey, let's do this. Like I'm ready. Let's just do it. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that has something to do with, like, why that had to happen. Like, and I know this is, like, based on a true story or whatever, but in terms of the narrative, like, it makes sense that Elizabeth had to, like, have her break down and be like, I can't deal with reality and then come back around. (laughs) Because that was basically, they were trying to say, like, she's the one that's having this moment of weakness, not Olive. Yeah. I agree. And I do like that like, it, it showed her as, like, I don't know, like, a person with weakness, where she was, like, before seen as, like, a great A bitch, as Bill said at some point in the movie. Yeah, and, like, I like it, but I also don't, because I like it because it, she's a well-rounded character and, like, has different facets to her, but I also dislike it because it's, like, behind every confident woman is nothing but fear. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, like... Oh. Well, I don't think that's true because then I think that um, Olive serves as like a counterpoint to that. Like she 
was like naive before that and then she was brave enough to be like no this is what I want mm-hmm. like and she was young and she was like pregnant when she was young like she was pregnant when they all got kicked out of college so I think that that's her being like staring down the barrel of a gun and just being like like I, just, I think she says like love is enough like when they're all trying to convince to stay together because she's pregnant or whatever yeah. um like that, that's pretty brave to me and I think that's kind of like I like that that was a different kind of bravery it wasn't like I'm smart and clever and I do whatever I want and I'm a bitch. Like, that's not the only type of bravery there is for women. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. I'm really glad that they were, like, opposite sides of the coin. hmm But also, like, I know this is the whole premise of the movie, but... And the whole premise of, like, how Wonder Woman came to be. But I really don't like when Professor Marson says, like, together you make the perfect woman. Yeah. I'm like, yikes. Uh, It also kind of, like, (laughs) it kind of, like, bothered me more. This is going to sound so superficial. But he said, like, the first thing he used to describe Olive was that she was beautiful. But then when he described Elizabeth, he described, like, her intelligence, her wit, blah, blah, blah. But he never said she was beautiful. And then he was like, together you make the perfect woman. Like, so what you're saying is, like, her, Elizabeth's brain and Olive's looks are good enough for you. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what he was saying. No, no. No, no. <laughs> and he's, uh, and then, you know, by extension, he's also saying that no one can have both. Because all True. pretty women are naive and stupid. <laughs> and all intelligent women are uggo. Is what he's saying. <laughs> I mean... So, his solution is to have two women. Which sounds like it works out for him, doesn't it? It sure does. (laughs) I mean, what would he do if they were like, okay, so we want a man who's like a big, tough guy who's not an academic. He just throws around lumber and yards all day. Like, he'd be like, no, you can't have that. He'd be like, let me psychoanalyze you. This is what's going on right now for you. (laughs) I mean, more than likely. So, the moral of the story is that Sarah and I really like the women in this movie. True. And the man's, like, kind of there. Like, whatever. Like, <laughs> as usual. We could take or leave him. What did you think we were going to say, honestly? <laughs> we're not going to sing his praises. I thought they would... <sighs> no offense to this actor. Okay. Like, he's a good-looking person. He is really good-looking. I thought he was going to be hotter, to be oh, honest. Oh, no, I think he was really hot. I think he was, like, daddy, like, father. <laughs> well... Okay. Maybe this is me not... I don't know. That happens a lot where people will be like, oh, he's so hot. And I'm like, really? Okay. I think he's pretty hot. Like, he wasn't like, oh, I would pick him over anybody. But I was kind of surprised at how hot he was. I thought he'd be uglier, to be honest. So. Oh, see, I thought he'd be hotter. Because I was like, mm-hmm. compared to these ladies, he's like a whatever. The women were really beautiful. Yeah. The actresses are so beautiful, so... Also, I love the costuming in this movie. Like, I just love it too much. Yeah, you, you made a comment that it was a really pretty movie. It it's was so pretty. It was really pretty. A lot of the scenes were really picturesque, too. So I was like, yes, I love this. So beautiful. <laughs> yeah, their clothes were cute. I wish we had seen a little more of their kids. Yeah, it felt kind of like the whole reason why they break up for a while is because of, of the kids, of what happens with the kids at school. So I thought it would be, like, more important to the story, but... 
And, like, the kid says, like, when he gets beat up in the schoolyard that so-and-so and so-and-so were telling lies about you, mom, and dad. Like, what do you think the lies are if the whole thing that they're saying is, like, that relationship is wrong, but you're calling two moms and a dad? Like, I'm confused about that. Like, what were they saying? Like, that they were, like, gross and wrong or something? Yeah, or, like, maybe they were saying, like, they're sex perverts and they teach sex to their children or something. Okay. I mean, we'll never know because that was not explained. Yeah. But, I mean, I think that goes back to you earlier said something about people that were watching this movie finding it hard to reconcile their thruple relationship with their domesticity. Mm -hmm. And I think that that plays into what was kind of missing from that part of the movie. Cause I wanted more about the domesticity, mm-hmm. but they didn't give it to us maybe because they were like, Oh no, we have to go back to the sex part to keep people interested, which apparently wasn't even enough. Like, what do you want from them? Just porn. That's it. <laughs> they want only porn for the kids to have never existed. Apparently, I think that's what it is. I think they didn't want them to have kids. Oh, well, but like, could you imagine, like, at that time, a married couple never having kids, living with another woman? That would have seemed extra weird. True. So, also, like, it's it's mentioned when they first are, like, not going to go through with it or whatever. Elizabeth says that they have been fired for the relationship that they're having and they're ruined. They'll never work again and Olive will never get married. Like, that's all she was envisioning for Olive. Like, we gotta work, but you, Olive, your goal in life is to get married, and it's dashed now. Like, that was kind of strange for me that she said that. Well, I mean, she was still, because of her fear, she was very trapped in that. Like, this is the way that the world is, and I'm I'm going to be super realistic. But, but really, she was being really pessimistic. And she was like, this is all that's out there for you. And this is all that's out there for me. Because she's like... No, the only thing I can envision is being with my husband and getting a job. Like, that's it. Yikes. So, yeah. She did not have high hopes for anyone at that point in time. I did like that Bill... The one thing that I really liked from Bill is that when he's convincing Elizabeth to apologize to Olive, he says, like, our children are going to inherit your shame. And, like, because she's saying, like, oh, we can't be together because the kids will be treated unfairly. And that's not fair to them. But he's saying, like, your kids are going to be ashamed of this because you're ashamed of this. And, like, there's nothing wrong with any of us. And we can't stop people from being cruel to our children. Like, so that means we shouldn't love each other. And, like, maybe that's me, like, being selfish and not understanding, like, being a parent. But, like, I wouldn't stop being with my spouse because people were beating up my kid on the playground. Like, I don't think I could do that. Yeah, I I liked that he said that. But then if I think about it too hard, I don't like it as much. Because <laughs> as we discussed, like, he's not queer. True. So he's like, here's how to deal with your queerness. And you're doing it wrong because you're ashamed. I mean, he did get beaten up by that guy. I'm like called a freak. Well, okay. But that was his fault, though, because he decided to be a macho man and go attack this guy that was like two feet taller than him. True, true. So, like, his toxic masculinity is not Elizabeth's problem. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, true. 
I mean, and he does, to be fair, he does, like, go in and talk to his son with his black eye. He's like, mm-hmm. so, I was wrong. I should not have done that. It doesn't accomplish anything. All yeah. that matters is how you feel on the inside. I did like that when the kid was like, oh, I got a few in, like, thinking that would still impress him, that he didn't, like, validate that. He wasn't like, oh, yeah, good. I won't tell your mom. Wink, wink. Like, he was just like, okay. And he left the room. Like, he didn't say anything to him. Yeah. So I think that for the kid to really, like, digest that, he had to sit with that and be like, hmm, he's not proud of me for beating somebody up. And I liked that. I liked that that was portrayed that way, that when Bill, like, ran across the street to, like... (laughs) attack that guy it was portrayed as a moment of weakness not as a moment of strength like he was they were like what the fuck are you doing yeah (laughs) they were like um hey so this is gonna help not at all (laughs) so i like that it wasn't like ooh, he was fighting for their honor that's what he that's what he wanted to do in that moment but it didn't work out but do you think like his wives had to be like hey so you're fucking stupid and here's why or if he really sat there and was like i was a fool like well, I think as, as soon as the guy's fist came towards him, he knew <laughs> that he was a fool. <laughs> as soon as he got shot. Like, that's basically, you can't, that's so extreme. Yikes. I mean, I have to imagine that that's what it was. He was like, oh. Like, if it was a fight that he could have won, I don't know that he would have mm, had that point. realization. Yeah. Like, if it was a fight that he could have won, he would have been like, oh, I did the right thing. I showed them. And then, and then his wives would have had to be like, so maybe don't do that. <laughs> but since it was a fight that he lost in two seconds, I'm pretty sure he very quickly was like, oh, this was a bad call. Yeah. So how would you rate this movie? Out Eight. of ten. Out of ten. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to come up with some sort of cohesive scale for this podcast. We did it out of ten when we rated Atomic Blonde. When did, okay, we didn't rate the second one. Mm-mm. But the last time we did a scale was for Destiel, and there was no, like, was it a percentage? I think it was a percentage. Yeah, but that's just, that's just for Destiel, though. <laughs> okay. Um, on a scale of 1 to 10. Like, last night, I was like, 9. That was amazing. Today, I'm like, 8. <laughs> yeah, I would give it a good 8. I'm shocked. Hannah's very cruel to movies. Okay, here's why. <laughs> <laughs> I was very emotionally invested in them. Okay, yeah, same. And I am always impressed when a movie can make me be emotionally invested in the characters. Um, because generally that happens to me more easily with TV shows because I spend so many more hours with the character. Mm-hmm. Um it's sometimes hard for me to like emotionally connect with movie characters because I, you know, it's usually like, here's this person in the middle of their life and you just have to learn about them real quick. Um, so I was like, oh, I'm forming an emotional connection to these characters. And it lasted throughout the whole movie. Like I wanted everything to work out. I was very <laughs> true, true, upset same. when it looked like things weren't going to work out. Me too. So I like got a little teary eyed when Elizabeth was like apologizing to Olive, yeah, and begging her to come back. Yeah. So for that, I will give it an eight out of ten. Oh, we're on the same page. We agreed for the first time ever. Yay! Usually, whatever Sarah says, I rate it like two or three points under. Cause she's mean. I am mean <laughs> to movies. 
it's hard for them to impress me, but I was pleasantly surprised. Can we also just say, like, clearly Olive and Elizabeth are non-monosexual women. Mm-hmm. And so this was a movie with two main characters who were non-monosexual women, and it wasn't fucking terrible. I'm so proud. I am Yay. so glad that we have these crumbs that we have. <laughs> I'm so happy for our crumbs. They're pretty big crumbs. Yeah. Like when someone like breaks apart a cookie, like it's fine. Like you can kind of put the crumbs together and almost make a half of a cookie. It's missing some holes. Yeah. Pieces missing. But, but anyway, I'm glad that we, that we saw that movie and that we enjoyed it. Yay. So next time y'all should drop us a line on our Twitter or Tumblr. Our Twitter is TQAWpodcast. And our Tumblr is thequeersarewatching.tumblr.com. Um, our, ask box, our ask box is open. So go ahead and let us know. Yeah, we also were brought, it was brought to our attention that our ask box was not open. <laughs> and so we, we went ahead and opened that since we, <laughs> since we told you to go there, yeah. y'all. I'm sorry. So if you have suggestions for like a movie or a TV show that you want us to review, then send that our way. Because, like, eventually we're going to run out of stuff, right? True. I mean, eventually. Although, yeah. next time, I would really love to do something on Sense8. Um, because we are avid Sense8 watchers. but And we haven't finished the last season. So, nobody spoil that for us. Yeah, don't send spoilers directly into our ass box. <laughs> That's not what we want. Um, um, we will finish it, though. And I'm debating on whether or not we should wait to do that until a later time. Like, when the mini movie comes out that like ties up loose ends i mean who knows i could be in like 2020 no i think it's gonna be 2019 <laughs> that's still really far away <laughs> maybe it'll be 2018 i don't think so hmm. i think i think they're filming already i think 2019 means 2019 though i don't think 2019 means 2018 it could be at the end like in december again still really far away <laughs> um one full year ish so our point um, which we do have was free to send us suggestions. We would really appreciate them. So if that sounded weirdly edited, what just happened was that my really jank mic stand just like flopped over in the middle of my sentence. Um, so now I'm really awkward. Now I'm awkwardly holding the mic <laughs> in um, between us. Yeah. Like, it's still on the mic stand, but if I let go, it'll just go ahead and swing over and then fall down. So, um, I So what we're trying to say is, this is the end of this podcast. This is the end (laughs) of all we have known. Um, what was I- I was going to say something, though, before we signed off. I was so Um, traumatized by this mic falling. Oh! What I was in the middle of saying when the mic fell over, tragically- was you can also send us your opinions of the things we've already reviewed. We would love to hear, like, hey, actually you're wrong about what happened in Atomic Blonde because blah, 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 blah. We, we want to know what you think. Um, and on that note, we will leave you, and I will stop holding this microphone up. <laughs> um, so remember, the queers are watching. Bye. Bye. Bye.